0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Basically, one of the the things that Owen's asked me to look at today is the, the Kingdom Parables. That is the thing we're looking at today, in fact. And I hope when we get into this we'll see that what was really going on there was not so much what we can learn for today but how blessed we are today because of what we know and that basically there was a discourse going on between the religious and the Christian, the new, the old and the new. And that's what I found so exciting. I love digging into God's Word. Uh, I am a teacher, so apologies, folks. You're going to get probably more than a teacher than a preacher this morning. Um, But let's just start with some statistics on the kingdom parables. We're particularly looking at Matthew 13. Um, I think a lot of people got the message to have a read of that. (coughs) Sorry. Before we got today, because it is a whole chapter and I didn't want to go through every jot and tittle of every word. Um, But one source says that Jesus spoke 40 parables and 19 of them are direct reference to the kingdom. That's nearly half. Something going on there. Uh, Matthew has two major discourses on the kingdom parables in two chapters, chapter 13 and chapter 25. And the reason for Matthew majoring on them, I would suggest, is because he was primarily writing to the Jews. And this is the thing I'm talking about, that he was talking to the religious. In other words, he was producing stuff for the religious, and we'll see a bit of that later. As with much of the Synoptic Gospels, they are repeated in the dialogues of Matthew, Mark and Luke. Do you just want to pop that first slide up, please? And the Synoptic Gospels are called the Synoptics for a very good reason. Sin means together... Uh, Yeah, that's okay. It's the feel I want you to get. Do you want to blow it up a bit? Um, Sin means together, and optic means seen. So they are seen together, Gospels, and tend to report the life and teachings of Jesus, whereas John, which is not a synoptic Gospel, tends to deal with the theological aspects of Jesus. John was the beloved. He lived the longest into old age and had time to reflect and receive further revelation about the Christ and who Christ was and his mission to save and restore the world. So we could actually ask in reality, is there really just two Gospels? This is the thing that blew me away when I was at Bible college. All of a sudden I realized that much of what's in Matthew, Mark, Luke is the same. And in many areas it's the same words. And so you go, wow, is there two Gospels? Is there only John and and, and these other three? And so it is worth looking into, because out of this can come something really, I think, revelationary for us. Um, So let's let's deal with uh, the sort of Gospels, as I call them, the sort of one Gospel. Let's just take the parable of the sower. And if you lay out there Matthew, Mark and Luke, the Gospel of the sower is in every one. And if you look at the structure of it, it's virtually the same. And if we scroll down a bit further, I'm, I'm not saying look at, read that now because we haven't got time, right? but you can check this out for yourself. If we scroll down further, you can see that even the people who've put the little uh, titles in have been able to put the purpose of parables, the purpose of parables, the purpose of parables. Because everything follows on virtually word for word. It's the same story, it's the same recount of Jesus explaining the story. Which is really interesting because one of the things about kingdom parables is, right, do not listen to preachers who allegorize on them. Because Jesus has already told us what they mean. <laughs> right? We don't need to say that this is a so-and-so and that's a what and whatever. Jesus actually explains in the parable of the sower what he's on about. He tells us very straight because he's talking to Old Testament religious people and explaining to New Testament disciples. <laughs> in fact, if you look at the relationship, do you want to drop down to the big slide? Between the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark and Luke, right, we can see from the colours there that 76% of Mark right, is also 41% of Luke and it's 45% of Matthew. And it's almost identical, almost word for word and in some areas it is word for word. We also find that 23% of Luke is exactly the same as 25% of Matthew, that's following the blue bit at the bottom, but it's not in Mark. Right? We also find that Mark and Luke have some commonalities, but only a small commonality. Only 3% of Mark is in 1% of Luke. And if you look at Mark and Matthew, we suddenly find that 18% of Mark is in 10% of Matthew. which is on the, That's going down that right-hand arrow. But there are some unique parts. There's a little part that's unique to Mark, 3%, but there's 35% that's unique to Luke. And it's 20% that's unique to Matthew. So have we got one gospel really? Well I suppose we could put them all together and we could write all this as one gospel because they are accounts. But in reality the new bits and the differences actually give us three distinctly different gospels. Right. what, What point am I trying to make here? Well if you look at who people were writing to. You find that Matthew was written for the Jews. It was written to, to Jewish Christians. It was written, sorry, Mark was written to Jewish Christians. I'm talking Mark, right, to, to support them in their arguments with the Jewish religious people. Some of it may have been directly for the for the Jewish people themselves, who were Christians. But there was a distinct purpose in what was going on there. Luke researched the gospel from eyewitness accounts. And this this also got me because as Christians we can often lose track of what was actually going on in the town at the time. And he had to do that because he wasn't around when Jesus was around. And neither was Paul. And that's kind of interesting too. So Paul and Luke never ever saw or heard Jesus in his earthly ministry as he walked this earth. It's accepted that Peter for many years travelled around giving public testimony... Because he was there. He did have eyewitness accounts. And who would he be speaking to? Jewish religious people. Right from the temple people right down to the ordinary people. And John Mark, that's the guy that Peter and Paul fell out over, was actually his scribe. John Mark is believed to have transcribed the stories of Peter and was giving these, um, and these were used as pamphlets to spread around the communities, as I've said earlier. So from that we get the collective Gospel of Mark. Matthew, believed to be the tax collector, produced his gospel based on Mark, this is where we get the commonalities, because Mark was the first piece of information out there, but with some additional unique information, and some information, other information that is, based on another source document, it's got to be, because when you look at that diagram, you can see that both Matthew and Luke have virtually identical passages in virtually identical words. So there's got to be a common source somewhere. It's a bit like if you like that all these news companies around are getting their information from say CNN World Service. There's got to be a commonality where all the information came from. So when we go to Luke we find that Luke wrote a two volume series called Luke and the Book of Acts. We know that he was writing To a high ranking Gentile. So we've got Mark who was writing to the Jews. And we've got the high ranking Gentile gospel coming out um, through Luke. It's interesting he was actually writing to this guy who was called Theophilus. And Theophilus means friend of God. He took great pains to write an orderly account he says. His research will undoubtedly have taken him to Mark's work. Then we find in Matthew that there is some new material only found in Luke, and again a heap of material common to both, indicative of this what's called a Q document, and that document has never ever been discovered. But the very fact that there's two identical copies, if you like, in two different writings, suggests that there is a common document somewhere waiting to be discovered. He also looks like he drew on the work of Matthew, that is assuming that Luke's Gospel came later. Now, I probably bored you all silly now, unless you're into sort of that kind of thing, and I am, because I love to see how clever God is. I love to see just how he works. I love to see just, just how he blows us away. Even in history and archaeology, he's there. And if we dig into that, it's just unbelievable what we can find. Because to me, it's really fascinating. It shows to me his absolute brilliance. Right? You know when he says that his, his ideas and his words and his thoughts are greater than our thoughts and minds, boy this really shows it to me. This shows me just how small I am in terms of the indescribable video. You didn't need that video to, to see that because when you look into how the gospels are put together, the interweaving of God in them, man it just blows you away. Because it gives us a deeper insight when we put historical context into the equation. It gives us the opportunity to dig deeper and think in particular in the mindset of what was going on in the first century, which is very, very different to our 2021st mind centu- uh, mindset actually interpret stuff and our understanding of it. I mean, how many of us, like me, when I was at Bible College, ever thought of that? That there's actually stuff repeated. Woo? Oh, I've never seen that. No, because we never look for it. But, and I never look for it. But when it's shown to us, it starts to think, Ooh, there's something deeper here. There's something going on. As 21st century Christians, unless we purpose to research such things, we can actually miss truths. And we can end up making assumptions because with our 21st century mindset, we skim over the surface of the Word of God. We go deep a little bit, but there's a whole load of depth that we can get to. Anybody ever been to any teachings by Messianic Jews? Oh man, they'll open up scripture to you like you've never seen before. Because they've got the Old Testament written in them. They've been brought up on it. And then they get saved and it's like, whoa. You know, every jot and tittle comes to life. It's unbelievable. So we need to look look at what's going on, how things came about. And in particular, the context of accounts in the Bible. Because this difference can actually colour our thinking. And even affect what we believe. Because without depth, we are limited to the world of assumptions based on our modern 20th century world view. Things like, women should wear hats in church. Put your hand up, all those who believe in that. It's in the Bible, come on. But that was an assumption that somebody made at some time. And so, you know, a lot of churches, women have to wear hats. They actually like it now, so they make fancy hats, but there you go. Uh, another one, women can't minister and lead. Okay. What about the woman who, grew, who, saw, who died purple? Didn't she lead the church? <laughs> right? We've got to go deeper. You can't just skim it across and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, leaders have to be celibate. Come on, Owen. Celibate? <laughs> are we up for that one in this church? No. <laughs> but you know what? There is a doctrine out there, and there's a whole church that God has used, right, for good or ill, over goodness knows how many centuries, where that is the ruling. And it's come from false assumptions. We can go into more, but I'm not going to go down that route. Um, What about things like the cults? The Latter-day Saints. Right? Oh, on the face of it, they look fantastic. Yeah, Jesus is your saviour. Get born again, daddy, daddy, da. -da. Now come and join the real real part of our church, the Temple Mormons. And now we'll teach you that when you die, you get your own planet. And you call all your wives to produce babies for your planet. The truth was there, but it's been warped and twisted by silly assumptions somewhere, right, in the actual Bible itself. Thirdly, why am I telling you this? Well, so that we can recognize that the key kingdom parables figure in all the Gospels and virtually unchanged. Therefore, they must be important. You know, think about it. We're Gentiles. Why should we have the Jewish pamphlet? But it's in ours as well as it was for the Jews. So those kingdom parables must really, really be important. So really, they're for everybody in the world. Jew and Gentile. In fact, Jesus actually did say they were for everyone. He used words like, ears to hear, let them hear. Anybody out there who's got ears to hear? Are you hearing? Good man, down, Right? We all have ears. But do we hear? Satellite dishes are a bit like ears. But you know what? If the television turned on, it doesn't receive anything. So he says, he doesn't just say all them that have ears, because we've all got ears, right? To hear, he says. That means ears that are working and will hear. Listen here. Right? <laughs> this is important. That's what he said. He said this stuff is important. Hearers are the teachable, the disciples, the apprentices, the ones who are hungry to learn and are listening to every syllable. Right? They get turned on by the words of Jesus. They want to know more. They're hungry. Their ears are open. And that's who he's addressing. Those who have ears, let them hear. That's everybody in the world right? who has an ear to hear what he is saying. The interesting thing was that in the version in Luke of the sower, it says, and he said, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he didn't just say, you know, you lot have got ears here. He said, hear you, I can't do it, my voice is gone, but you know what I mean. He shouted this stuff, it was so important. You've got to hear it, guys. And I'm a teacher, right, and when there's a teacher, any other teachers in here will know that when there's something really, really important that the kids really, really have to get, right, you say things like, shh, be quiet, shut up, now listen, focus, pay attention, right, you need this, you can't afford to miss this bit, or you'll get it wrong, I mean, maybe not in that sort of way, but, but we do, we have to bring their attention, and I think that's what Jesus was doing here, he's bringing their attention, he's saying, shut up, focus, listen, This is important. This leads us really to a most important point. If those parables, all of them, are in all the literature and have the call to hear, i.e. listen intently, mull over, seek understanding and comprehend, they must be tremendously important. So why should that be? Well, it's interesting to know that Jesus uses this phrase, those who have ears to he- hear. Oh, it's hard to say this, especially when you got a bad chest. Let him hear. He says that in the kingdom parables and mainly in Revelation. Whew. So the stuff that's in the kingdom parables and Revelation, we've got to hear it, we've got to understand it. Because our lives depend on it. Two areas of vital importance to the believer both of them and I believe to every believer because the hope of the Christian is surely to live in an eter- in an e- to live eternally away from a world that's filled with pain distress, poverty, sickness war, murder death and all the other ills and sins of society to be taken to God's kingdom of righteousness where there is no pain, no suffering no crying, no death how many times do we pray that prayer and we don't even notice it when we say, you know, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Phew! <laughs> does that excite you? It excites me. I have suddenly realized that the, I don't understand that. Our, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This has got meaning and depth and its purpose. And it's it's giving God the right to break into earth and to release the fulfillment of his kingdom, which we haven't seen yet. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we pray this prayer, we are beseeching God to make it happen. We say to God, take away the pain, take away the suffering, take away Satan, take away evil, take away sin. You come and reign here on earth. That is exciting and we should get excited about that. I think it's hard to do when we just like, skim with 21st century minds over it. But when we see the depth and when we see that Jesus was saying this when he first came. There's something in this that is really, really powerful. So let's have a look at parables. In Matthew 13, 11. When the disciples asked. He answered and said to them. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. In other words, the scribes, the Pharisees, the sad UCs, because feel pretty sad you see. Um, and all the other religious people of the time. He uses the word "mysteries." Now then, I want to clear something up here: Mysteries is not something vague or difficult to understand. Because God speaks plainly. I was reminded with the word that David brought. You know, that when God said to Abraham, take your son Isaac, right, and sacrifice him to me, he didn't give him a little trail to follow. And Isaac got up one morning and said, oh, I think God's telling me to, to do this. Oh, I think God's, oh, I think now I've seen that sign. He told him. He told him exactly, he told him straight. He didn't make it difficult. Right, so God speaks in that way. So what is a mystery then? well a mystery must be something that hasn't actually been revealed to us yet in other words the truth not revealed yet and here's the danger for us especially 21st century know it all mindset Christians because we've got all the gospel right? we put our own interpretations on on stuff that hasn't actually been revealed to us yet whereas with the kingdom parables even Jesus must have been aware that that was going to happen because he doesn't allow us to do that he tells us exactly what they mean Right. So if if somebody comes along and preaches something from the parables that are like not there, say, well, where did Jesus say that? Because he said this. Do you get me? Truth is truth. Let's zoom forward and unpack a mystery. All the prophecies of the restored nation of Israel didn't mean a thing on the 13th of May 1948. But boy, they did on the 14th. And there are dozens of them. Remember what I say about having ears to hear being to do with the kingdom. Well, the kingdom's coming. Right, that is an absolute, physical, concrete fact. There is a restored nation of Israel. They are planning, right, to rebuild the temple. They will sacrifice in the temple. New archaeologists discovering the temple isn't actually under the dome, it's further south. So all these things are possible. In 1988, I think it was, the Arabs went ballistic because the Israeli archaeologists were meters away from where the, the Holy of Holies were. Something spiritually went off on them. And they started chucking rocks and bricks and they had to close the work down. Right? There's something going on. We have to be aware of the signs of the times. We have to have ears that are hearing. Not just, about, not just the Word of God, but seeing everything that's around us. Being men of Issachar who know the signs of the times. Because our life is bound up in their times, in these times. Like the hope of every Christian is that that kingdom will come on earth. If that kingdom do not come on earth, we ain't got much hope. And we've got to constantly remind ourselves when we go through pain and suffering and rebuttal and anything else we go through in life. That kingdom is coming, that pain is gone. And because you are born again, right, you've already got eternal life. You're already in it. Right, you're living eternal life now. I don't really realise that, you're just living it on earth. As long as you don't do anything stupid and you know like well I'm not going into that it's time for another preach but you are living now as eternal citizens of heaven your place is assured so we need to know some things you see the religious leaders of the day they knew nothing about the truth of the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53 they were spiritually ignorant Unlike us who have the hindsight and to whom these scriptures make sense because of his first coming. Even today the scriptures of the suffering servant are still a mystery to the orthodox Jew. But not to us. Because just like the disciples were then, we are highly privileged today. In fact he said to the disciples in Matthew 13, 16 when they asked about the use of parables. Blessed are your eyes and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Born again Christians are highly, highly privileged. Because lots and lots of truth that wasn't available then has been revealed to us remember before you were saved did the Bible make any kind of sense? could you read it? could you get anything out of it? was it the best book in the world that you would take everywhere and read? <laughs> nah. how many Bibles do you have in your house? four, five, six? <laughs> ever read them? Nah. right but when you got born again your eyes were opened and you could see and your ears were opened and you could hear And what does faith come by? Hearing. Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. We are privileged. I'll tell you what, let's liven everybody up a bit. Let's say, I am blessed and privileged. Come on, all together. I am blessed and privileged. I am blessed and privileged because God has favoured me. Because God has favoured me and opened my eyes and ears. And opened my eyes and ears. Right, let's put it all together. I am blessed and privileged because God has favoured me and opened my eyes and ears. Does that not blow you away? You're favoured by God to that degree. You see, the disciples were getting new information, new knowledge, and therefore new understanding about God's kingdom that wasn't there, wasn't accessible until Jesus came to earth. The disciples recognized that something was different, while the eyes and the ears of the religious actually refused to hear and see what was happening before their very eyes and in earshot. Think about today and pray for churches who don't accept the Holy Spirit lost me a great job that I did one day because I told a particular organisation I went for an interview with that uh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit you did not you did not you couldn't have done that you got that when you got born again there is nothing more goodbye <laughs> right there are churches out there who believe all sorts of stuff and it's based on ignorance and lack of desire to dig into God's word and find out what it's all about in fact what did he say, even to John the Baptist, when he sent his disciples to find out whether he was the Christ or not? I mean, John the Baptist did this. So, you know, everybody was in that boat. I mean, after all, you know, this guy Jesus, he parted with sinners. <laughs> Heaven forbid. You know, that's why, guys, we're looking at building a fringe in this church. So we can party with sinners. So sinners can get to know us, right? And they might just like what they find and might actually just come along to the church or might just actually get saved. You know, without a fringe, it's just you and your small corner, me and mine, with a few contacts that we have, and we've tried them all before, and they don't come. So we've got to keep expanding the kingdom. We've got to keep expanding. We've got to keep going out there. And we've got to keep telling them about Jesus. Right? We haven't just thrown our evangelism away just because we're having parties now with sinners. We're going to have more parties with sinners because we need a big fringe if we're going to be a city-wide church. I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Right. And Jesus actually said to John the Baptist, he said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. See, people who get offended because of Jesus are the religious people. Right, that's why we've got persecution in, where was it? Some part of, what was Russia or something like that? They get offended. Right? They don't want to hear the truth. We've got the right way. Boom, boom, boom. Throw rocks out, you shoot people. You know, think of the martyrs down the ages. So in order to see what was new with our 20th century minds, we need to see with a 1st century mind what was actually old. If you get me, in the context of these parables, which I probably won't get onto today. Right, the old view was quite simply. The Old Testament, straightforward. Because of Adam's choice to live independently from God, we live in what one Bible author calls this present evil age. We all know that. We all go through pain. We all go through suffering. We all do life hard. Right. An age which is dominated by rebellion and evil. The Jews recognize that God is sovereign over history and one day would overthrow the ruler of the world and replace this present evil place of Satan with his own kingdom. Then the wicked will be judged and the righteous, God's own people, will reign. Whoa, that's a hope. Bring it on, Lord. Are you fed up of being at the bottom of the pile, being the butt of everything? <laughs> you know, taking everything that comes at us, everything this crazy governmental world system, whatever it is, chucks at us. Are you fed up of it? Come on, Lord, thy kingdom come. Bring it on. And that event separates two periods of history, which is the coming of God's Messiah, the first time, where Daniel 7, 13, 14 refers to the Son of Man coming on the clouds, setting up a kingdom that shall not pass away. Jesus is the Son of Man. He even refers to himself as the Son of Man in the Gospels. He is the Messiah. His ministry showed it, he spoke it, and others, but not the religious religious teachers of the law, recognized it. In these parables, Jesus is affirming this picture. But he had some crucial additional information about the coming Messiah and the establishment of God's kingdom. That which Old, Old Testament prophets called the coming of the Messiah... Is actually, what is, is to us, his second coming to Christians. He came first, as we all know, so that all who have ears to hear would accept the good news. And started the revolution. The kingdom was at hand, he went around preaching. I'm here, the kingdom's at hand. Right? All you who believe in me shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Right, look, I'll show you. Gilt from the dead. Heels, blind eyes, everything else. He did it, didn't he? You know, let's 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 put it in 21st century language, because that's what he did. That was the remarkable thing. He's paying the price for our sin by taking the death which should be ours. That whoever believes in him, well, I just said it, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the start. The first coming, as we see it, I believe, was to give every person in the world the opportunity to repent of their evil ways and be saved from the vengeance of the Lord through his death and resurrection. And just going back to something Bob said before, isn't that that what we're like as parents, you know? kid does something wrong, right? We talk to them, we give them the opportunity to put it right, but the next time they get it wrong, vengeance kicks in, There's a judgement takes place, there's consequences. You know, that's how we've won our school back, isn't it, Moenna? Because there are consequences. They get a warning, they get another warning. There's consequences. Right? That's the way to bring kids up. Do it any different, (laughs) and you'll have a lot of problems later on. Right? So how does that make make you feel? Knowing that you are spared that great and awesome day of the Lord and eternal damnation because you changed, because your ears were open and you heard about Jesus and you heard what he'd done for you and it transformed your life and you accepted him as your your saviour. You escaped eternal damnation and you escaped judgment at that sort of level. Because rest assured that's what's coming. In Luke 4.18 we find Jesus announces who he is. He's quoting God's word that he spoke through Isaiah, God's prophet, some 800 years before that day. In fact it's in Isaiah 61. And what's more he was speaking in a synagogue to the religious leaders. But uh, you know, Heidi o, did the change. No, they got angry. It wasn't good news to them. Jesus declared the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set out liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you know what? He stopped dead there. He stopped dead there. He didn't carry on. He stopped dead there with that Isaiah 61 quote. <coughs> and it upset everybody in the synagogue. Especially went on to say, um, because today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You can tick that one off now, no mystery anymore. Tick, I'm here, it's me. Right, I'm the fellow you've been waiting for. And they got so, so angry, they tried to kill him. They marched him out of the synagogue, they took him to a cliff. And for some miraculous reason, they got him to the edge. Jesus just turned around and walked through him. I mean, isn't that God at work? Isn't that awesome? They're angry. They'll still be angry. What's going on here? Weren't we supposed to throw him over the cliff? <laughs> what happened? You know? But the interesting thing is that Jesus could have actually gone on to finish that, uh, that discourse with this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But he didn't. He stopped. He didn't put the vengeance bit in. Because that is symbolic of the fact there are two comings. The first one was to come to do all the things he said. But the second time is is for the day of vengeance of our God. And he didn't say that to them. Should have picked up on that one, shouldn't they, really? Okay. Their anger was because their ears were stopped. Not by God, but by the hardness of their own heart, so they didn't have the privilege of knowing and understanding that he was coming twice. That part of scriptures to them was a mystery, which had been long since interpreted wrongly, and then the wrong interpretations accepted as truth, and then of course, we can all see that it became heresy, and they still believe it today. Are you glad you have the privilege of knowing Jesus was coming twice? Once as the suffering servant, and the second and last time, to deal with the kingdom of darkness and establish his kingdom. And that time he comes by like that. Every eye shall see him. Every knee shall bow. There's no mistaking him this time. And all that what I've spoken so far is exemplified in the parables, which I'm not going to get onto, so I'll draw to a close. Because his coming would usher in a totally unexpected and unanticipated form of God's kingdom that is very different in very important ways from the kingdom in its fullness. He came in as a little seed. He came in, spread the word, and the seed grew and grew and grew and grew. And in essence, that's the parable of the mustard seed. came in quietly, slipped into history. Right, but we won't mistake him the next time and that's the parable of the dragnet but more of that later on so that's the introduction over the key points so far are the need for kingdom people to have hearing ears the need for kingdom people to dig into God's word become skilled in its understanding and see it as it's meant to and never give up seeking truth and revelation through the spirit of God the need for kingdom people not to try and guess God God in, um, guessing God in the case of the Jews led to their belief in untruth, which became established doctrine and led to their demise. A.D. 70, there were a people without a land. 1948, God's timing, there are people with a land. That's amazing in itself. God hates divination. Saul lost his kingdom for it. Without a shadow of a doubt, he went to see a diviner. And there is also such a thing in my belief as spiritual divination. Which is like looking at the teacups. Well, I saw this guy in this t-shirt. And it had Australia written on it. Therefore, I am going to Australia. Oh, and then I saw Koala Bear on the telly. God must be speaking to me. That is C-R-A-P. God doesn't do that. He says, go, get up, go. Go to Nineveh. Tell him about me. Right, go and sacrifice your son. He don't give us little clues. That's Satan's work. He's called the deceiver. Right, oh, Flick that little peanut at them, they'll think it's God, and they'll go, boop, and I flick that little peanut at him, they'll think it's God, and all of a sudden, they're in a cul-de-sac. Right, think about Abraham, 20 years, think about Moses, 40 years, we've done been down that route too, and it's horrible, because you spend hours and years and... But probably the first four years of getting back from Australia trying to figure out, well, I'm sure God was in that because of this, this this, and this, but hang on a minute <laughs> we're not living in the blessing we're not doing what we thought we were going to do we're not where we thought we should have been well, it must be God, oh, we check take it out on God no, hang on a minute, no, we can't do that because he's God, it must be us and it takes you years to work through that and to come to terms with the fact that we're idiots and we got it wrong and so now, my resolve is I don't do nothing for God unless he tells me absolutely tells me God gives me little signs, little wonders that make me feel I'm really special and I'm doing the things for God. Nah, it's not like that. God doesn't even call us to do things for him. Do you realise that? He calls us to be Christians first and foremost. The doing comes on the back of that. We have to be a Christian first and foremost. So just to finish off, God hates divination. So see it as it is. Hear it as it is. Don't go looking for the peanut trail. They can throw you off course. Be like Jonah. Say, God, if that's of you, right, send me a whale. Or Gideon, God, if that's of you, I'm going to do something impossible. Now you make it possible. Because he will. If he wants you to do it, he will do it. Right? I'm going to leave it there. Lord, I just thank you for, I don't know what I have brought so far. I just hope that it means something to people. And if we get a chance again, hopefully we can actually look at the parables and put them in the context of what i've just talked about thank you we hope you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk